This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Time now to turn our attention to China, where there's a big meeting going on right now. Yeah, indeed. It's the plenary session. A very, very busy week indeed for the country with the Chinese Communist Party Central Committee holding their sixth one, dealing with possible succession issues and their continued battle with COVID-19 as well. Uh, lots to talk about where these China-focused headlines are concerned. And helping us out is Tan Don Wei, China Bureau Chief at The Straits Times. Uh, Don, good morning. Thanks for helping us out. Uh, first up, the uh, CCP Central Committee starting its sixth plenary session in Beijing since yesterday. It's going to run till November 11th. What kind of significance does this session have where China's history is concerned? What do we know so far from day one? And, uh, of course, uh, what's the significance of presidencies? upcoming resolution in this plenary session. Hi, good morning. Well, this sixth plenum is especially important because the party's central committee, which is the key decision-making body, is expected to adopt a historical resolution. And this would be only the third one in the Communist Party's 100-year history. A historical resolution is an important political declaration that takes stock and sets out the official historical narrative of the party and charts the course for where the country should go. And going by the past two historical resolutions, it is also a tool for China's top leaders to solidify their hold on power and give them legitimacy. So the first historical resolution was passed in 1945 under Mao Zedong, who at that time had just purged his political opponents in an ideological campaign called the Yan'an Rectification Movement. And the second historical resolution was adopted in 1981 under Deng Xiaoping, who used it to denounce some of the missteps made by Chairman Mao, including his devastating campaigns, the Great Leap Forward and the Cultural Revolution. It also gave Deng the legitimacy to continue his economic reforms and lead the country in hot pursuit of economic growth. For Mr. Xi... His historical resolution will summarize the achievements the party has made in its 100-year history, and that will cement the party's legitimacy in its continuing role. But more importantly, it will likely give Mr. C the resounding mandate to take the country towards national rejuvenation, which he has set as a mission for himself. And that will include all the master plans and all the policies that he has engineered, such as the Belt and Road Initiative and the recent Common Prosperity Drive. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. Now, Don, it looks like China's party leaders have been deliberating a new succession system behind closed doors and honing in on who will make the cut. Uh, will the choosing of China's next premier hinge on the seven up, eight down rule, perhaps? I mean, from what we've seen and known so far, who do you think will likely be in China's next leadership lineup? And might we be able to expect a woman 
to lead China next? Yes, I think we are all waiting to see if President Xi will scrap the unwritten retirement age of 68 because that will help decide who the next premier is. If he sticks to this retirement rule, then Wang Yang, currently the fourth-ranked Politburo Standing Committee member, could move up to take the premiership based on his seniority. But if Mr. Xi wants to pull up some of the next generation leaders into the standing committee to groom them or test their competence, then current third-ranked Vice Premier Hu Chunhua could be promoted to become the next Premier since the first and second-ranked Vice Premiers Han Zheng and Sun Chunlan would have to retire next year. But if Mr. Xi bends the rules, then Han Zheng, currently the seventh-ranked standing committee member, won't have to retire next year, and then he could be moved up from first vice-premier to premier. It is not clear if those currently in the standing committee who have not reached retirement age next year, such as Wang Huning and Zhao Lezi, will step down. But there is a possibility that President Xi will want to pull in some of his political allies into the standing committee, such as Shanghai Party Chief Li Qiang, Chongqing Party Chief Chen Min'er, Guangdong Party Chief Li Xi, and also Mr. Xi's chief of staff, Ding Xuexiang. Any of these men could also be a potential successor to Mr. Xi down the line. As for the women leaders, Sun Chunlan, the only woman in the 25-member Politburo, which is one notch down from the standing committee, is retiring next year. But there could be a few female candidates to move into the Politburo, but certainly none in the standing committee. We're on the line this morning with Tan Donwei, China Bureau Chief at The Straits Times, uh, talking about a few China-focused headlines worth paying attention to. Uh, Don, final one, uh, China's efforts to eliminate COVID-19 currently coming under increasing pressure. Officials warning of a grave challenge in the months ahead. Dozens of new cases reported over the weekend, of course. Uh, from your perspective, I mean, do you think it's time for China to move away from this whole zero COVID-19 policy? Uh, why is China having issues controlling the virus right now and will the focus on eliminating COVID-19 completely, could it have any impact on their economy? I do think that this zero tolerance policy is not sustainable in the long run and at some point China will have to change strategy and start to loosen up and open its borders. But it definitely is not ready to do that just yet as it hasn't reached its aim of herd immunity yet as the vaccination rate is currently at about 75% and it is aiming for at least 80%. Also, the Winter Olympics is coming up in February next year, and China has said that it needs to hunker down and keep COVID in check because of the Games. The problem is China's COVID management is about eliminating the virus. But with the highly contagious Delta variant now the dominant strain in circulation, it is near impossible for China, a country of 1.4 billion people, which shares a land border with 14 countries, to keep itself completely isolated from the virus. So it continues to stick to a very harsh management system of mass testing and lockdowns to contain the spread of the virus internally. 
And this zero-tolerance policy does impact the economy for sure because it affects factory activity, it affects consumption, retail, it affects businesses. But at least until China feels that it has reached herd immunity, which now includes expanding vaccination to children ages 3 to 11, the government will continue to cushion the economic fallout of this policy. Thanks very much for that analysis, Don Tan Don Wei, China Bureau Chief at The Straits Times. Thanks for joining us on Money FM 89.3. You take care, yeah? The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Like us and rate us. <laughs>